Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew titled, Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. So let's get into our study for today. And, and the way, again, that we've been doing this is a little bit of a review from the, the week previous, and we had talked a lot about forgiveness. I thought that we would just zip through forgiveness last week, and apparently there's a lot more grudge holding here in this group <laughs> than actually I ever imagined, so uh, we, we, uh, we stuck with that quite a bit, but I hope that uh, what we talked about was, uh, was beneficial. So the two things from last week, number one, is that forgiving others keeps the flow of God's healing grace moving freely. So again, it's this idea of as God gives his healing grace to us and healing, I'm using the word healing to it with particular emphasis on the idea that that healing grace is what empowers us to forgive people who have hurt us. That, that that's, what, that's what heals you. And there is to some degree, I think, some merit to the notion that when, you, when you're, uh, let's say, generous with forgiveness, let's use that terminology, that has a positive effect on your health, that that really makes you a more cheerful person. That actually could make you somebody who your health, the health itself would be better. And probably the opposite of that is more indicative of that, that if you are a person who holds on to hurt and you are a person who constantly replays the hurts over and over again that people have done to you, the negative impact of that on your health probably could also be demonstrated. All right. So it's not to say it's a direct cause, but there certainly would be a correlation between the two, I would think. So the idea of accepting God's forgiveness includes the idea the flow is God forgives me, I forgive you. God forgives me, I forgive you. And so the question always is, well, what if God forgives me and I don't forgive you? Does that mean God won't forgive that? No, God keeps forgiving it, all right? But again, it's sort of like that flow. Somewhere in the flow is a stoppage. So if you've ever had sewer problems, <laughs> you might be able to relate to this, right? It's just sort of that idea that, well, I'm going to accept all of this from God, but then I'm not, there's not going to be an outflow. I'm not going to let go of it. And so that the question would be, could it happen? I suppose the, in theory, it could happen that a person could get to the place where he or she held on to the grudge or held on to the hurt or the, whatever it was, the offense so much so that it embittered that person. And then that person got to the point where they would be refusing the grace of God. I think in theory that could happen, but God is the one who would ultimately make that decision. I, I have no idea what, what I couldn't read that person's heart. Yeah, John. Well, you know, there's actually an interesting example of that in nature. If you think about the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, mm -hmm. the, the, the water flowing through the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea, which doesn't have a lot of outlets to yeah. it. And what happened to it, right? It yeah. It became... Briny. They call it dead and nothing grows in it and you can't use it for much but salt. Yeah. So that's a good example of that. Okay. All right. And, and so then that sort of gets into the second part, which is refusing to forgive others could result in rejecting God's healing grace. But again, that's going to be a process that isn't like a one shot deal where somebody has hurt you so deeply and then you go, oh, I, will, I, will, I am not forgiving that person. Well, that doesn't mean that, okay, now you've rejected God's grace. But if that was to continue, if you continue in that state or in that condition, you certainly could uh, bring yourself to a place where you would not be even receptive to the grace that God, God gives you. So there is, there is a, it's not an obligation, but I think there is this idea that as we receive, so we give. That's the flow. As we receive, so we give. And so what happens if I say, well, I'm just going to receive, but I'm not going to give. Then there is some question about how, what's the impact that that's going to have on you. And we have to be mindful of that, I think. Okay? Have to be mindful of that. All right. Very good. So now we get into 
Matthew 6, 19 to 24, and we'll start with 19 to 21. So Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so Jesus starts out by saying, do not store up treasures on earth. The kind of the notes there that, that I have for you is the word store up. That's kind of an interesting translation of the Greek there because what it says is, do not lay up treasures for your treasures, which is an odd way, isn't it, of saying something. I think that's probably why they translated it, do not store up, all right? But what that means is, is that when you store something up, all right, what are you doing? There's a remembering of it. There is a being devoted to it. There is a pursuit of it. And then once you have it, there is a, a, an attention that you're paying to the keeping of it. And maybe the notion that you would be a bit watchful of those who would want to take it from you. So there's this sort of uh, uh, the sense that I would get of that is that it would take a chunk of your life or a part of your energy in order to, to, to not just acquire it, but then to hang on to it and maybe perhaps even grow it. All of that's involved in store up, which is probably why if we had gone with the original Greek translation, the Bible would be this much thicker than, uh, than, uh, than what it really is. All right. So one of the thoughts that I had in my head on this is asking the question with respect to that which you store up. What goes into your decision as to what it is you're going to pursue and keep and store up in life as opposed to that which you're not? How do you make that decision? How many of you... Okay, you don't have to, this is kind of weird to ask it this way, okay? But how many of you think that you had, that there's so much in your life that you can't live without? And has that perspective changed as you've gotten older? Yeah? All right, so when you were younger, what, what would be an example of some things that you thought to yourself, I can't live without? I got to hang on to this. I got to hang on to this. What, what would an example be? Thoughts? Any thoughts on that? What? Money. Money. Yeah, okay. Having money. Now, interesting thing about money is that we're told over and over again as people are living longer that the caution is do what? Don't outlive your money, right? I mean, so there's something to be said for that. All right. You know, when we're younger, I think, and we're in the, in the early, like, you think of your life, maybe those of you that are married, the early life of being married, there was a lot of emphasis on, on uh, uh, pursuing careers and, and that uh, we would make money doing, uh, doing careers. And then with the money that we had, we would do what with it? We would buy things and, you know, the house and the, the cars and, and, the, and the mater all the material possessions that went with that. Okay. How many of you found that as you got older, what you discovered about all those things that you bought, it meant that there were more and more things to dust. <laughs> and, and, and you thought that all these things that you were acquiring would be, oh, this would make life so great. And, and it would make it a whole lot easier. And just think of all the time that it would free up for me to be able to do other things that I wanted to do. Or you thought to yourself, well, we better hang on to that because I just know that someday the kids are going to want those things, <laughs> right? And so how many of you have discovered the hype in that, st in that statement? <laughs> it looks like many of you have discovered that the kids, they, they have no use for any of that stuff. And now you're thinking, what are we going to do with all of that, all right? And so what some of us do 
is that we don't have any room in the garage to park our cars there anymore, <laughs> right? Or we're spending extra money on storage somewhere, you know, to put those things, all right? It's not to say that the accumulation of things is bad or anything like that. It's not to say that. It's just that what Jesus is saying is be selective about what it is you're choosing to store up for yourself. Because what you choose to store up for yourself, there's a, there's a price to pay for that. And it's not necessarily monetarily. It could also be in terms of how much thinking you have to do in terms of what you're going to do with that, right? Or how much time and energy it takes to maintain whatever it is, right, that you have. And so if you're going to be storing up, which is okay to do, be mindful of what it is that is going to take that energy for you. And that's what he's saying with the word treasures. He cautions us to be wise about what it is that we treasure. So beloved life principle number 35 is what is precious to you will require the investment of your time and your energy and your interest. And so the big question is, how do you know if it's a wise investment? So what Jesus is going to do in these verses is remind us a little bit of how to keep it in perspective. Because if we lose perspective, then what happens is, is that there's a tendency to look out at everything in life and say, everything is number one, right? Everything's important. Everything is something that I need to keep. Everything is, is something that I need to store up. All right. So what Jesus has to say, interestingly enough, about earthly treasures is very true, is that they are subject to theft, decay, or rust. So what are some examples of earthly treasures, all right? Uh, first one would be material treasures. That would be pretty easy to, to figure out. Money, possessions, investments, uh, things like that. There are relationship treasures, which would be spouse if you're married, children, family, friendships, right? Friendships certainly uh, involve an investment of time and energy and that sort of thing. Self-fulfillment treasures. I didn't know what else to call these, so that's what I called it. Are things like other people's approval, being liked or loved, not being blamed, uh, belonging. I don't know what else would be included in that. What about fairness? We've talked about fairness, right? Having or experiencing equitable uh, treatment in, in life. By the way, in the social media world that we live in now, this one is a big one. The self-fulfillment stuff, right? How many people are focused on how many likes they get on Facebook, you don't have to raise your hand. I, I already know who it is. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, because what is it that we want? What is it that you want or people want when they put something out on social media? They want other people to notice. And then when they notice it, what they want is a positive uh, reaction to it. Okay. And I, how many of you are on Facebook? A lot of us are. I know I am too. All right. So have you noticed some of the, they, they put in some new little tab things in there. It used to be just that you like it or you didn't like it. I mean, you li it, it didn't have a not like, it just like, okay. But now there's a whole bunch of things where you can do react. All right. And so every once in a while that'll trip me up because I'll be looking on there and I'm counting the number of likes I'm getting. Especially on Monday. There's something about Monday, all right? And, uh, and I'm, so I'm adding them up, and then what it says on there is, you got so many reactions, right? And so I'm kind of disappointed because I really wanted likes. I didn't want reactions. But then what I do is click on the little icon to see what kind of reaction it was. And if it was a smiley face, then I'm happy. And if it wasn't a smiley face, then I'm not happy about that, all right? So... Where does this go? How important is it to some people how many likes they get? And could a person build his or her self-esteem or her sense of self-worth, or I'm calling it self-fulfillment, around how many likes they get? Yeah. It's just a new form of peer pressure. 
Okay? Think back to, if you can imagine, life without social media. How, can we remember what that was like? That was like, what, five years ago? All right. <laughs> but remember how it was for you when you were a teenager. Okay? How preoccupied, how, how preoccupied were you as a teenager about what your peers thought of you? How focused were you on that? Yeah. And so when you're real focused like that, you look at yourself, particularly in a mirror, and how do you feel about yourself? What, what, when, when you're re- preoccupied with yourself as a teenager, which who isn't, you look in the mirror, what do you see? Like the first time you ever had a pimple, what was that like? <laughs> right? And you think, oh my gosh, and you don't see anything else but that pimple, right? And usually it's a prominent pimple, you know, like right there, you know, or right there or whatever it is. And so then you see it and what do you do? What do you spend the rest of the 20 minutes that you have allotted to you in the bathroom, which includes also 10 minutes of what your sister would have gotten, but now won't get because you are preoccupied with that pimple and doing something about it. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to be doing with that pimple? Yeah, because you learn by trial and error that if you try to get rid of the pimple by doing like this, what will happen to the pimple and the area around the location of the pimple? It gets bigger, right? And redder, and then it's worse than it would have been if you had just left it alone. Okay, isn't this? Aren't we speaking truth here? Yeah, this is speaking truth, right? And so that's, that's the problem, is that you think in terms then of how you're going to go to school and face your friends when you're convinced that the only thing they will see is the big red spot and the pimple that is still there or the big thing of makeup or whatever it is that you use to cover it up. That's storing up. That's storing up, Okay. And so Jesus is simply saying that this is something that we do. And in terms of self-fulfillment, see, that's the whole point, is that when I'm building my sense of who I am around what I look like, my body image, my possessions, everything outside of me that can easily what? Be destroyed by vermin, by rust, can be taken away, or is determined by the whims and the moods of the people around you. Jesus is saying that's going to cost you something, okay? So this is a big deal today. I wonder a little bit about the suicide rates among our teenagers today. And it's a, it should be a huge concern for us, okay? Because what it suggests, and again, I, can't, I don't know each individual situation, but it does suggest that the hopelessness and the uh, despair that a person feels when some form of rejection occurs. And many times it's coming off of a rejection kind of thing. Uh, A young lady rejects a guy, you know, something like that. And I'm thinking that when we, again, build our whole lives around what somebody else thinks of me at the moment, and I don't feel like I have anything else I can go to or turn to, then what else is left? I'll end my life. Okay? Yeah, Marv. Yeah, one of the really unfortunate aspects of social media and peer pressure these days is online bullying. Online bullying? Yeah, yeah. bullying. It's, it's a real sort of subject for me, and it's just so sad. Yeah. Because being a teenager is hard enough. Yes. And then we bring social media into it, and yes. all of a sudden... It just intensifies the sometimes. It does. And it's hard enough to deal with it when it's face-to-face. But there is a brutality element that's present on social media, they say, that is not present when you're face-to-face. Is that when people are a sort of like I'm, I'm typing or whatever, however I'm transmitting the message, when it's going from me to my screen and then from my screen out to somebody else's screen and then from the screen to them. All right. That that sense of removal of the direct human moment. All right. Makes it easier to be brutal. It makes it easier to be rude. 
It makes it easier to be very un, uh, to have very little empathy because empathy is something that happens human to human, right? Well, if I've got two screens in front of uh, one in front of you and one in front of me, then it's that, that much easier. And any of you that have ever written a letter to the editor, anybody ever, well, nobody does that anymore, of course, but anybody ever done that before? where you read something and you're getting real like, I'm really, boy, I'm really going now. And you're typing away and you're like, oh, this and this. And then have you ever like sent, uh, hit sent button and then, and then instantly re regretted it? Like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Well, see, that happens routinely now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gone from the teen years to the preteen years. Oh, earlier. Suicide. Okay. Suicide hats. Yes. Okay. Because of the same thing. They're, yeah. they're getting rejected. Things that uh, they thought were important. Yeah. Somebody slams them up against the wall. Right. Right. So there's a lot more. There's more of that. Preteen suicides. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, part of it is the exposure and the access that you have through the device that you have where it used to be maybe the worst thing that would happen is that you got stuffed in a locker at school, you know, given a swirly. If I talk about swirly, do you know what a swirly is? Okay, won't have to go into any detail on that one. Uh, uh, knocked off your bike by a bully. I mean, stuff like that is hard enough to take, but, but, the, but you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have constant 24-7 access to it and keep looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. Yeah. Well, I think it's not even just an issue with watching it itself. The sheer amount of information available that the library is on it allows for children to get access to information they're not supposed to beforehand. Right. Shaded earlier on. Ex yeah. And so, and combined now with the fact that it's such a level of anonymity with the with online, yeah. that it could not even just be children talking to children, it could just be adults talking to children. Sure. To the children. That's right. That's right. Yeah. With, like I said, there's no way of knowing who this person actually is. I'm just saying, hey, on this, there's no way to guarantee that. Yeah. That. You can pretend to be something that you're not way easier now online than you could. Yes, Christina. Like how it's just going to be to it just human connection, period. Yeah. As parents, not coming, not coming, being parents that you see staring at a phone. Yeah. And their child is sitting at the table at a restaurant. Yeah. And the whole family is on their have you seen that when you've gone to a restaurant before? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody around the table is looking at their phone. Yeah. 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 It's missing. Yeah. And those with this important device now sends this message of hate. Sure. Sure. So, you know, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, okay, there's quite a number of people here who probably have either uh, children or um, grandchildren who, ha who own a device. Is it fair to say it that way? Okay. So when you're with them, you know, you're not going to be able to change how they are at school and when they go to McDonald's or whatever. You're not going to be able to do that. But when they're with you, okay, what do you do to um, encourage the use of human to human as opposed to uh, you're talking to them, but they're looking at their phone, and you're talking to them, and they're looking at their phone. What are, what are you doing to, um, and, and this is not a guilt thing. I'm just sort of asking, what do you do when that happens? Besides get annoyed, yes. Yeah, you do. All right. Yeah, Stephen. Ask questions. Ask questions, like four times so that he finally hears you. Is that what you mean? What, what happened today? What was bad? Okay, so asking questions. Yeah, okay, and that works. Okay, good. You should try that with Steven sometime. I think that would be excellent. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what else? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Gail. <laughs> Mental block here. No, I, I ran into that when my, my daughter has three sons, and when we were visiting, yeah. she gets up in the morning, and goes, she organizes, and the whole day, the she organizes the whole day. The whole day. Yeah. And, and, and you say, what do I do? Nothing. They don't even hear you. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything. Just find something else to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. What else do you do? Just curious. Yeah, Michael. No, our, 
our deal with our family, you know, when we're sitting at the table yeah. at, at home or at a restaurant, yeah. the cell phones are off, everything's off. No, we, we want to communicate oh, with each other. okay. So are they, are they off in the pocket, or are they off out where everybody can like well, drool over them, or what? Yeah. They're oh, they're off. Okay, so that's one way to do it is to say that when we're sitting down to have dinner or what, a meal or whatever it is, when we're doing that, the rule will be, you know, and of course you probably have to enforce it because you know sometimes somebody would test that rule. Give me the phone. Yeah, but it's out of idea. But that would, that, you know, that would be a way to do that. Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Yes. I have another one for the car. I read this a long time ago. The car? In the car with your teenager. I don't have the radio on, and he's not allowed on his phone. And we have, because they're not looking at you directly, Yeah. it's easier to have discussions. Sometimes it's quiet, and sometimes we have serious life discussions in there yes. usually it just how it comes up i mean it's never contentious well okay a few times it gets a little contentious <laughs> but it has been really a blessing to do that yeah. because i don't think also knows that he could get on his phone in the car at least yeah. not with me or us yeah he doesn't get on the phone he's not going to try that no because right? he must think that you mean it yeah yeah, yeah. so he so you know, and we do. There's a lot of, of talking and mm -hmm. teaching and mm -hmm. things to go on that go on in that time. So a lot of human to human is now if you're doing the driving, is most of the talking from you to him? Both ways. Oh, both ways. Wow, that's amazing. It's, it's both ways. That's amazing. Except now that he's driving, there's no talking. <laughs> Except stop. Except a few, yes, a few one-word things you're saying. Yes, well-timed, of course. Yes. And you might, going back to a previous lesson, you might include, uh, will you forgive me for what I just said to you? Yeah, that's a good idea, too. That's a good idea. Yeah. We had a, a, a doctor wants to say something, too. Well, let's, I think we need to be careful with statistics. I just looked it up. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Now I'm sunk. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Go um, ahead. Now, these, these are suicide, dates, suicide death rates in the United States yeah. based on 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. All right. In 1950, it was 13.2, mm -hmm. and when you and in 2015, it's 13.3. Okay. And if you look through there, it's been in waves. Yeah. The lowest number was about 2,000 with 10.4. Okay. Okay. So yes, that's a statistically significant variation, sure. but it's going in waves. Okay. So we can't just blame. Is that measuring teenagers, or is that all? This is all over. Population. It's all over. So it would be. Can you find a breakdown of that? Uh, and it may be that we're hearing more about it. Yeah. Uh, if you could uh, email that to me after class, it would be fantastic. Thank you. All right. Okay. Anyway, so then there are also what? Spiritual treasures. And sometimes we don't think of them as treasures, but these are amazing gifts that God has given to us. And we would certainly include his love. That's a, a wonderful gift. Forgiveness, heaven, I mean, some of those we'll see later on in life, right? I mean, after the new life. But, but it still is ours uh, by virtue of our relationship with him. And see, that's the point he's, he's saying is, is be mindful of where you put the priority of your life. Be mindful of what you're choosing to store up and hang on to. Because there is a difference between those things that are earthly and those things that are heavenly. And if we, if we devote ourselves to the acquisition, only the acquisition of the earthly things, which frankly makes life easier in some sense, right? A comfort level, that sort of thing that we all enjoy or many of us do. But those things are subject to somebody else or something else taking it away. And it is often the fear of losing it or the fear of it taking away, which literally changes the uh, aptitude and the attitude that you have in life. That's what he's talking about. Okay. So we're reminded of that uh, parable that Jesus told in Luke 12, 16 to 21, where Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of what? An abundance of possessions. 
Boy, how many of us need to be reminded of that, right? Life does not consist in that abundance of possessions. And so then he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store up. There's that word store, right? To store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up. There's the word again. Things for themselves, but is not what? Rich toward God. Now, when you look at the example this, uh, that Jesus uses in this parable, what did the guy in the parable do right? He was a good saver, wasn't he? Yeah. And he actually, being a farmer, would have done what farmers would do, right? You have this huge crop. You don't want it to go to waste, you're not ready to push it to market because maybe the price is low. So what do you do? You build the big barns, you build the big silos, and you keep it there until the price goes up to where you can afford to sell it, and then you sell it. This guy did exactly what he should have done from an economic or market perspective. Did you want to add anything to that, Marvin? Well, my first thought was, you know, from a moral standpoint, why would he share abundance. Yeah. Well, there's no indication that he didn't, but that would be a certainly would be a legitimate question here. If he had shared it, would that have been a right thing to do? A good thing to do? Yeah, we would say that. We would say that. All right. Maybe it was for his, for his retirement. Maybe that was his nest egg, right? And he didn't have a pension. Most farmers don't, right? Or he didn't have a 401k. It was all in the, in the, inside that silo. So that would make perfect sense there, all right? So what is it that is missing then in his life? What? There was no thanks to God, no recognition that all of his blessings come from God. He was saying, basically, look what I've done. I deserve to just kick back now and enjoy life. Yeah. And which to heck with the rest of the world. And so again, we would, it would sort of suggest that there was something lacking in terms of being rich toward God. Now, what would that mean then? What, what is being rich toward God? How about having a relationship of faith in Jesus as your savior? And then the outflow or the the, the, the fruit of that would certainly show up in thankfulness. It certainly would show up in, in sharing. It certainly would show up in, in having some concern for the needs of the people around. All right? But the rich toward God had to do with that relationship. And that's what was missing. All right? And, and, but there's also a legitimate question in there that comes out, interestingly enough, comes out of... Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, Solomon musing over how hard we work in life to acquire all these things. And then when you die, somebody else takes it, right? And so there is that legitimate question in there that he asks is who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Isn't that the reality of death? Right? is that we get all these things and then you die, go to heaven and your kids get to figure out what to do with your stuff, right? Or, or, or the government or whoever it is that is going to take over those things. Yeah, Tom. Could you relate that to Joseph in Egypt? Pardon? Could you relate that to Joseph when he was in Egypt yeah. growing up and then he reunited with his family? Yeah. I mean, that, I thought of that story, too, that, you know, when, when Joseph was the second in command in Egypt and he knew that the famine was coming for seven years, what did they do? They built the big barns and they stored the food and they, but they knew that there was seven years of famine coming after that. All right. And so then during the famine years, what were they going to do with that grain? Well, they weren't going to give it away, right? They, people had to come and buy that. That's how the 
the story of his family ended up in, uh, ended up in Egypt. They came to buy grain. But the, but the point is that they were mindful of the society of which they were a part. You don't get that sense here with this guy. He wasn't mindful of anything except what? His own, I've done this all for me, and, and so this is going to be for me, and, and I can just take life easy after that. Okay? All right, so beloved life principle number 36 is that earthly security is no substitute for spiritual security. Because what, what we're looking at is, and dealing with here is the basic question. And that is, what does it take for you to feel secure in life? Or uh, what I put up on the board is how much of what do you need to feel secure in your life? Where do you, what, what is it? When do you finally feel secure? Or do you? If it's based only on what you have, if it's based only on how much people like you, if it's based on how many pats on the head you get, either on social media or like in person, you'll never feel secure. Because when is it enough? It's never enough. It's never enough. And for many of us, you could get 99 likes and one dislike, and you will spend the next week focused on what? That one dislike. And you'll be running it through your head. Oh, man, what did I do wrong? Oh, gee whiz, what do I need to do? Maybe I just need to be nice, nicer to that person. I mean, it's, you will ruin your whole week and everybody else's, right? <laughs> because you're focused on that one dislike and you totally ignore the 99 likes. If that's the case, that's a misplaced source of security. At the end of the day, the security that we have in this life, which ain't much, is the joy that we have in being Jesus' beloved, which never changes, and his forgiveness and those things that go with that, and then the promise of what? When this life is done, the best life is yet to come. Unchangeable. And that's the security. Now, that doesn't mean that we hope that everything falls apart in this life and we lose everything. I mean, all those kinds of things. But it could, I guess, you know. And if it did, okay, that would hurt. That'd be a big hit. I would hate it. But it wouldn't change a thing with respect to where the ultimate security comes from. And that's what Jesus is talking about is how easy it is to get caught up in all that other stuff. And then we make life all about all that other stuff. And we lose sight of the main thing, the real thing that's worth, uh, worth counting on. Okay? So a couple, just a couple notes here in terms of uh, uh, Jesus uh, really nailing that point down. He says it at the very end. He says, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Kind of an interesting idea of the, of the word heart is the Greeks often had a different idea of what the heart was. They, nobody thought of it as, you know, the organ in your body. It wasn't that. But it's the idea of the center of your being. Okay? That's what he's talking about. So where your treasure is, that's where you're going to center your sense of who you are, the value and worth that you have, right? Your purpose for living, if you want to call it that. And his point is, is that this is a pretty big deal. So be mindful of that. See, take that into consideration when you think in terms of what you're going to devote yourself to. And Jesus uh, bears that out in Luke 6, uh, 45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up. There's that word again, stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. So see, again, not talking about the physical heart. We're talking about that sense of set, uh, centeredness or that sent, uh, sense of, uh, of groundedness. All right. But it does have something. It does say something about then asking the question, what is it that you feed to your heart? What are you feeding with your heart or to your heart? Because if the health of your heart, then 
would sort of suggest what comes out of your mouth in terms of words, maybe thoughts, actions, decisions, how, a sense of security in life, all those kinds of things, then we, we probably ought to be paying attention to the nutrition of our heart to think of it that way. What is it that you feed your heart with? Do you feed your heart with gossip? Love. We hope. We hope. Yeah, love would be a wonderful thing to feed your heart with. That gets harder and harder to do in the, again, media age that we live in. Because so much of what gets on the news and then we hear in our heads, if you listen, no matter what news feed you listen to or watch, it's mostly all negative, right? It's mostly critical. It's mostly sensational, you know, that sort of thing. Truth doesn't really sell. Have you noticed that? But innuendo does. And, and that's the kind of thing that people sort of get hooked on. Yeah, Christina. We have a, a family motto of trash in, trash out. Trash in, trash out is your family motto? <laughs> <laughs> you put trash in your brain, you're going to put trash in your heart. What are you going to put out? Yeah. Like if you're going to listen to music or watch shows or yeah. video games or um, hang out with people who... Yeah, that's good. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that because that would even have to do with people you hang out with then, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you hang out with people who only are uh, putting others down or, you know, gossip or things like that, well, then eventually without even thinking about it, out it comes out, out of your lips. Uh, what we grew up with was what predated trash in, trash out. It was monkey see, monkey do, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of the same idea, you know, again, but, but a lot of what gets fed into our hearts shapes how we think. And sometimes that shaping is going on in such a stealthy subliminal way that we're not even aware of it at the time. And then, and then out it comes and you think, where did that come from? Right? Well, it came from what I was feeding myself with. So that's also something to be uh, mindful of. So beloved life principle number 37 is one way to discern your treasure is to gauge how much worry you spend on it when it's threatened. Have any worriers here? Nah. Yeah, of course. And so you think to yourself, okay, so... Like on a given day, like if there was something that you were concerned about or worried about, have you ever thought about how much, like if you could uh, put, pour that worry into a container, how, how big would the container be? It's one way to think about it. So like little thimble, thimble, do we have any thimble worriers? No, forget that. Uh, you know, the bucket of graces that we do, that's about this big. It's almost like a little bigger than a shot glass. How about that? Okay. A rain barrel. Oh, now we're getting there. All right. Kind of depends on the, the subject or the object of the worry, right? Could be. All right. So would worrying about your kids, would that be a rain barrel sort of one? Yeah. Okay. So again, worry is usually an indicator of, uh, of that sense of that this is a treasure. And it's not good or bad. It's just to be mindful of it right? Can worry affect your day? It does. And it does. It does. Okay. Could worry affect your health? Yeah, it can. Anxiety disorders, things like that. So, um, you know, again, it just, it's kind of one of those things to be mindful of. And if you're not mindful of it in a self-awareness way, I assure you other people around you are. So my question always is, how would you like for them to bring that to your attention? Give that some thought because they want to bring that to your attention, but they don't always know how to do it in a way that will be receptive to you and you'll actually hear it and not like, like, you know, get mad back at them. All right. So you want to give some, some thought to that. Yeah, Carl. Uh, the Dale Carnegie course has a whole segment, as a matter of fact, a book on uh, stop worrying and start the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the right title, but. The key thing is, there's two things to deal with in worry. Mm -hmm. One is, can I fix it? Yeah. And take action on it. Okay. Stop worrying. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if I can't fix it, and I can't control it, stop worrying. 
Just deal with it. Oh. Just accept it. Oh, I never thought of it that before. Yeah, get up okay. and trust in the Lord from that point on. And mm -hmm. There's nothing else you can do, so trust God. I've been trying to fix my kid, and then I gave up on that and tried to fix church members. <laughs> I've given up on that. I'm trying to fix a senior pastor. That's what I'm trying to do now. So, <laughs> What is said here stays here, except, of course, it's now everywhere. Tell Phil to edit that. Okay. Yeah, Phil, where's Phil? We'll have Phil edit that part out, right? All right. Well, okay. So we have a few minutes left, and then I got to go to work. So let's do uh, 22 to, oh, 22 to 23. Okay, all right. So now Jesus says kind of some fun little, not fun, but just kind of a little uh, play on words here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Holy cow. I can see the disciples looking at this and they're going, what is he on? You know, what is he talking about here? All right. So let's, uh, let's unravel this a little bit. All right. So he starts out by saying, the eye is the lamp of the body. What does a lamp do? Lights the way, right? So what's in your eyes and what you fill your eyes with has a bearing on your perspective, on what you do in life, the decisions that you make, the directions that you go. So if you're not mindful of what you're feeding visually in your eyes or in your heart, you could be leading yourself down the path of destruction and not even know it. True? Okay, so there's a little bit of a warning there. All right, so the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, if your eye are single, now this is what's interesting, the, 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 the translation here is really lousy. Because what the Greek word means is, if your eyes are liberal in generosity, if you are generous to the max, is what he's saying. If your eye is, if you, if you have an eye for being genero generous in life, right? then your whole body will be what? Full of light. Have you ever spent much time around inordinately generous people? There is a delight in those people that is, it can't be ruined. They're very positive. They see the good in many things. They refuse to see that, oh, things are terrible and there'll never be any good and all those kinds of things. It's, it's an amazing sort of thing. The delight, and you think about delight, the word the light is delight. You can't hardly be around them very long and you're not what? Filled with light, okay? So the idea is, is that you are generous to the max, and when you are, how does that affect your whole body? <sighs> Fills you up, right? That's what he's saying. But now he says, if your eyes are evil. Now, again, English translation, terrible. Because the Greek means evil here is stingy. Okay? If your eyes are stingy, then what? Your whole body will be filled with what? Darkness. You will be a bummer to be around. And if you've ever known people that were tight, so tight, you know, not frugal. I'm talking about tight and stingy and unsharing and, and ungenerous or generous, but it always costs something, right? Okay. Then what happens is their bodies are filled with what? Darkness. If the light within you is darkness, in other words, if the guide in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Does that make sense? So beloved life principle number 38, we'll end with today. Generosity is the antidote for an anxious heart. I don't know if Dale Car Carnegie put that in his book. That, that, that would have been a good thing, right? Generosity is the antidote for an anxious heart in which the fear of losing what you have breeds a non-generous spirit.
See, the more anxious we are, the more fearful we are that we're going to lose whatever it is we have. So we're not going there. And if you want to battle that, work on being generous and see what generosity does to that body that you have and the perspective you take toward life. Okay? All right, let's close the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the tremendous way that your word speaks to us, particularly as it uh, helps us really get a handle on the idea that, that we need to be mindful. We need to be thinking about what it is that we devote ourselves to. We're so grateful that, that Lord, you've already walked that pathway and way ahead of us that you valued us so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our savior, to, to live and die and rise again for us. And in doing that, show to us where real security is and the price that you are willing to pay for our spiritual security and a place in heaven someday. Help us, Lord, in our lives each day to not get that twisted up, to not get confused about what it is that really matters. There's so many voices in the world around us saying, and they're all sort of clamoring for the same sense of devotion and, uh, and loyalty from us. But, Lord, they can't deliver. The moth and rust destroy, and, uh, and it's so temporal that it never really lasts. So, Lord, remind us that the true uh, sense of security is found in you. Give us the joy of that. And as we, uh, as we live that out, uh, instill in us and breed in us a sense of generosity and sharing. Watch over us, dear Lord, as, uh, until we meet together again. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.